for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. Amen. It was, it's ironic over this past week that God had, had brought up a story that involved the, Tim. And the story was, you know, Tim and my wife, they crossed paths multiple times in years past in, in doing ministry together. And they were at a ministry engagement. And Tim was there with my wife and another gentleman. And sitting across the table from them, he asked them this question. How many people do you see in this room? And of course, given the genius response that they gave in that moment, they said three, including you, three. In typical Tim fashion, he paused and kind of glared into the distance and then responded by saying to them, there's hundreds, there's thousands, there's millions in this room that God has called you to reach. With that being said, this morning's title is, Do You See What I See? Do you see what I see? We're going to jump right into the text this morning. If you were here last week, I love to read. So be prepared to read. Can we read this morning? If you have your Bible with you, whether it lights up or whether it turns pages, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Verse 1. Reads, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told him about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Let me back up to the preceding chapter 
At the tail end of the chapter, what we find is Jesus and the disciples on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They were engaged in doing ministry there. And then Jesus says these words to them. Let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. Any other details, Jesus? How many of you guys can relate to Jesus not necessarily giving you all the details? Maybe he gives you one word. Maybe he gives you several words. He tells these guys, let's go to the other side. And so they agree. As they're in journey to the other side, a huge storm comes, a furious storm comes. And guess who's asleep in the boat? Jesus. He's asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion, the Bible says. I don't know if he was drooling. I don't know. But I know that he was asleep. And his disciples in the midst of this storm are, are crying out, Lord Jesus, are you, gonna, are you not going to save us? We're going to die out here. Jesus wakes up, wipes the drool off his chin, and says, peace, be still. And he speaks to the winds and the waves in that moment, and it brings utter calm. The disciples' reaction in that moment was, I'm sure, what our reaction would have been in that moment had we been in that boat. Who is this? That even the winds and the waves, they obey him. Who is this? So they get past this furious storm. Okay, we got out of that. We, we thought we were going to die, but we got out of that. They get to this region, unbeknownst to them, waiting for them, is a demon-possessed man. And what the Bible tells us in Luke's account of this demon-possessed man is that he didn't wear clothes for a long time. He hadn't lived in a house in a long time. As a matter of fact, he lived amongst the tombs. So when you hear that, you begin to think. So here was this demonically oppressed individual that probably forgot what it was to even button his own shirt. He forgot what it was like to actually put on his favorite pair of sandals. He forgot what it was like to actually engage in conversation to somebody that wasn't trying to arrest him. He forgot what it was like to have physical touch with people that actually loved him. Here he is living amongst the tombs. He was more comfortable living amongst dead things. He lived amongst dead things. A man that once had dreams. A man that once had family. A man that I'm sure once either had a girlfriend or a spouse or whatever the case may be. Here he is living amongst dead things. And we find Jesus engaging him. What I find interesting about Jesus is that he will do anything for the one. To reach the one. He will move a mountain to reach the one. He will swim through an ocean to reach the one. As a matter of fact, 
In John chapter 4, we find him sitting at a well at the hottest part of the day, at the sixth hour is what the Bible says. Waiting to engage the one, the woman at the well. We have the parable of the good shepherd that says that he leaves the 99 behind to go find the one. So Jesus is all about the one, isn't he? He's all about the one. That's 100% accurate, but it's incomplete. He is. He's about the one. It's 100% accurate, but it's incomplete. Here goes Jesus engaging this gentleman. And what I love about this story is that despite the condition that this man was in, Jesus was willing to engage with him. Despite the fact that he was demonically oppressed, despite the fact that nobody else would even dare come to his area any longer because he had terrorized this region, Jesus was willing to come to the other side to engage him. Now, this was a man who the Bible describes as crying out night and day. He cried out night and day in the hills. I don't know what that sounded like, but it sounds like a silent sufferer where nobody hears what you're, you're crying about. He's crying out, silently suffering because nobody even wants to engage him any longer. He's completely rock bottom. If he ever knew what rock bottom was, he's rock bottom. And he's constantly inflicting pain upon himself. You've got to feel like a failure in a sense that he couldn't even kill himself. He attempted to harm himself so many times but failed. Like, man, what, what am I good at? Demonic oppression. He was tormented. I'm not sure if anyone in this room knows what it feels like to not even be recognized by your first name. We don't know this gentleman's name. All we simply know him by is his issues. Do we know what it's like to be labeled by society? Here was the demoniac man. What about oftentimes when we say, oh, that's the man that walked out on his wife. Oh, that's the man that left his kids. Oh, that's the, that's the man that stole from. Oh, that's that guy that took one too many puffs from that medicinal stuff. Do we know what it's like to be labeled by our issues? Here comes Jesus engaging him. What I love about Jesus <laughs> is he doesn't wait for you to get it all together before he engages you. Man, I thought somebody would clap over that. He doesn't, he doesn't wait. I know I, if I could, I would clap both hands and feet right now. He doesn't wait for you to have it all together before he engages you. As a matter of fact, he knows it's impossible for you to get it together apart from me. And so here he is. He casts these demons out of this man. As he casts the demons out of this man, this whole region begins to witness their economy going down the, down the tube. 
That's their money. The pigs, that's their money. Don't mistake it when you read scripture. That's their money. They're watching their economy go down to tubes with all those pigs that are being drowned. Now, it's interesting that verse 17 says something that shocks, that shocks me every time that I read it. It says, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They began to plead with Jesus, physical Jesus, tangible Jesus. They plead with him to leave their region. They were more concerned with the hustling and a bustling and a prosperous economy than they were with the presence of Jesus. He was the answer to every problem in this region. He was the miracle that was needed to, for everyone in this region. He was the solution to every problem in this region. But they pled for him to leave. Man, don't touch my money. Oh, you mess with my money? Leave. What I love about Jesus is that this man now, the picture that we have in the Bible is he's now in his right mind. He's now in his right mind and now is wearing clothes. And he's sitting there. He's sitting there for everyone to see. Everyone that remembered who he was before he actually went to live in the tombs is seeing him now in his right mind. That's one of the greatest testimonies we can actually give to anyone is when people see you in your right mind. Now, I remember what I used to do, but I wasn't in my right mind. No, you're right. You were sitting right there with me. I wasn't in my right mind. I know when I did what I did, but I wasn't in my right mind. Now, here he is sitting in his right mind. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. He begged. He's begging Jesus, let me come with you. Here's Jesus' response to him. Jesus did not let him. Now, when you look up that word let or permit, as the King James writes it, it means he sent him away. He's actually sending him away in this moment. Jesus sending someone away in this moment who's pleading with him, let me just be with you. Can't it just be me and you, Jesus? I mean, we could just worship all day long, read our Bible. Just me and you. Who are you going on a date with tonight? Just me and Jesus. It could just be him and Jesus. Jesus tells him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It's interesting, the picture that we have here is that Jesus tells him to go home. Who in here is, is, is a football fan or is knowledgeable about the game? Six people? This is Texas. 
Come on, we're in church. Matter of fact, let's just do the altar call now. If y'all want to. So in football, there's 11 men on both sides of the, the ball. I'm not sure whatever defensive scheme the defense runs, but the game of football, on the defensive end, you have certain positions that are given to certain players. And there's these guys on the very ends of the defense called the defensive end. And what you'll find oftentimes is if the offensive team has a play that's going in this direction, the defensive team follows the flow of that direction. Everyone else is going where the action is. But this defensive end that's assigned over here can't commit himself to this side of the field because the coach tells him, stay at home. Stay at home. But why do I got to stay at home? All the action is over here. Stay at home because this is your assignment. And we can't deal with a blown assignment. Because when you blow your assignment, it impacts the rest of the team. So here is this man being now commissioned by Jesus to stay at home. Stay at home, the same place that the people saw you prior to you becoming demonically oppressed and depressed. Prior to all of your failures that everyone was witnessing, go back there. That's where your testimony is more powerful, back there. See, what Jesus equipped this man with in this very moment wasn't a seminary degree. He didn't equip him <laughs> with some of the things that don't matter. But what he equipped him with was a story. What he equipped him with was a testimony. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our. So now here's Jesus commissioning this guy to go home. Now the disciples were there. Now the disciples are, I'm sure, wondering, hold on. We almost died coming over here. And the one guy, the one guy that we engaged with asked you, to asked you to come with us, and you told him to stay? That feels like a failed mission. Jesus had to have missed God. Right? He had to have missed God. They didn't understand Jesus' assignment. And before I go too far down this road, we all, in this embassy, have assignments. In some seasons, those assignments might seem like they come with zero fanfare. They come with zero recognition. But it's your assignment. Maybe your assignment looks like taking that annoying guy on your job out for a cup of coffee. After a cup of coffee. After a cup of coffee. When it's time to pay, he's like, oh, I, I, I left my, I don't know, I left it at home. That guy, that is your assignment. Maybe your assignment looks like for some of the women in here that have been called to full-time ministry. You've been running for years, but now God is like, 
hey, in this season of your life, I want you to spend your time raising up godly children. That's your assignment. It's no less significant than someone out there in the front lines. That's your assignment. There's a grace there for it. So these guys are like, oh, man, we, we missed it. We had to have missed it. Do you see what I see? See, what Jesus was trying to do in the eyes of these disciples for three and a half years was get them to see what he sees. My wife and I, we've been, we're, been married going on about five years now. And I've learned a thing or two. Yes, I'm publicly acknowledging that. Yes. I've learned a thing or two. First couple of years of marriage, we had two different definitions of what it meant to clean the kitchen. I come from bachelor life. And my wife is very meticulous. She's very detailed. You know, she has the fancy sprays, wants to turn the bottle around, tell me what's in the bottle. So what do we do? We do as we're asked. As I was doing my chores, I learned something. See, my wife used to go in the kitchen and clean up and tidy up the kitchen and put everything where it needed to be. And it looked just, it looked like we were living in a brand new home every time. And so she would ask me to clean the kitchen. Just grab some stuff, put it in here, put it in here, wipe a couple things around here. And she would walk in there and say, I thought you cleaned the kitchen. And this would lead to intense moments of fellowship. But in these intense moments of fellowship, I started to learn something. The more that I watched my wife clean the kitchen, the more that I lived with my wife, I started to see things as I walked into the kitchen that I never saw before. As I would go back into this kitchen, then I would start wiping the counters like I never wiped the counters before because I started to see the counters the way that my wife saw the counters. And that's what Jesus is trying to get to these, to these disciples Do you see what I see? See, I'm all for the one. I am. But that's in hopes to get the many. See, when Jesus sent this man away, he didn't just send him back home. He sent him to the Decapolis. Deca, meaning 10 cities. He sent this man to 10 different cities to talk about God's goodness. Talk about what the Lord has done for him. 10 different cities. To somebody who doesn't carry a seminary degree. Somebody who the world would say is unqualified to stand and grab a mic. But what he had was a story. You might be able to win a theological debate with me, but you can't take my story. What I love about Jesus is in John chapter 4. Verse 27 through 30, it's just another example that he takes the the messed up people. He takes the people that nobody else would pick, nobody else would choose. And then he sends them out. He commissions them. We find him now 
in John chapter 4 at a well. He engages this woman, which was radical all in itself in that day and time, in that particular culture. He engages this woman at the sixth hour of the day is what the Bible says. The hottest point of the day. Jesus was willing to sweat it out for her. And he waited on her. And he said, uh, ma'am, can you go get your husband? He said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right when you say that. You've had five husbands. Okay, let me go tell people that I might have just seen the Messiah. She runs to town and begins to question, could this be the Messiah, the man that told me everything that I've ever done? Is this the Messiah, the Christ? Look at verse 27. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jump down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus is after the one, but in hopes to reach the many. See, was he sitting at the well for the woman at the well, which is 100% accurate, but it's incomplete. Jesus was coming for that Samaritan village. Jesus was coming for the Decapolis. And the people that he's using, as a matter of fact, let me give you this analogy. Don't, don't, don't run up here. Let me just throw that out there. If I were to offer you this $20 bill, who would take this $20 bill? on my lunch money. Listen, <laughs> if I were to offer you this $20 bill, who would take this $20 bill? Oh, I'm looking around the room. You got so many super spiritual people. I'll take it. I'll put it in the offering. So no strings attached. If I were to just ask you who wants this, who would take it? Thank you. Thank you for being honest in church. Now, this same $20 bill, if I were to grab this $20 bill, step on this $20 bill, offer you this $20 bill, who would take this $20 bill? If I were to take this same $20 bill, and offer you this $20 bill, who would take this $20 bill? Thank you. We got a smart crew this morning. Do you want to know why you would still take this $20 bill? Because it still has the same value. In spite of, in spite of what it's been through, in spite of being places that it never was created to go, in spite of being stepped on by people that never were meant to step on them, I tell you what, the value of this in God's eyes never changes. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2.10, he says, you are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he planned before time. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, 
God's plan doesn't change for your life based on your mistakes. Sweep it under the blood of Jesus and pick up the cross and keep running. God still sees you just as valuable. I love him because of that. Now these disciples, back to these disciples again. (laughs) They had to have thought that was a failed mission. They didn't see the fruit that they expected when they crossed the other side. Do you know what it's like like when, you, when, you, when you're excited about something spiritually, right? And all of a sudden a huge storm comes. But you survive the storm and so God is going to do something amazing on this other side. There was a storm that came. God is going to do something amazing on this other side. But it was just that one guy that they saw right? Just that one guy that they saw. They didn't see him being a missionary in the Decapolis. I'm sure they heard about it. They didn't see him being a missionary in the Decapolis. Oftentimes, what looks like a failed assignment might bear fruit years down the road. You might be sitting with that annoying guy who will end up becoming an evangelist, unlike anything that you have ever heard and or seen in this generation. If I could have you to throw that picture on the screen. Three missionaries from America went out to the Congo which was Zaire at this this time, Kinshasa Zaire. They went out to Kinshasa Zaire. They gave everything away. They were willing to risk their lives to pour out their lives in this region. They get out there, and only three people give their lives to the Lord. Now, you got to understand what was going on this day and time in the Congo. We're talking about all types of spiritual warfare that is unheard of here in the States. Voodoo, witchcraft, every other type of demonic religion was taking place in this continent. They weren't serving Jesus. Now these missionaries go out there, pour their lives out. Three guys make a decision to surrender their lives to the Lord. Two of the guys fall off. One of the guy continues to be raised up by God. See, I'm a, I'm a, a church historian. Over the last several years, I've been doing a lot more research and a lot more digging into what God did in other people's lives before I was around. Now, this man in this photo he would go on to become the first African bishop in the Mennonite church. Now, those missionaries, I'm sure, thought this was a wasted assignment. This was a wasted opportunity. This man would end up going and evangelizing Belgium, the nation of Belgium. He would go on evangelizing France. He would go on evangelizing Canada. Last but not least, he evangelized America. 
And his desire was to stay and to preach the gospel in America. But the door didn't present itself at that time. He was an amazing man, as I've read. Very renowned. As a matter of fact, at his funeral, the government paid for everything. The who's who of who's who attended his funeral. This man of God gave his life away to serve the gospel. One of the greatest evangelists to ever come out of the Congo. One of the greatest pastors to ever come out of the Congo. But he never saw his own kids serve God. He's running, praying to the Lord. Lord, could, could you set them on fire? None of them came around to serve the Lord. Here's this amazing man of God. He's not wearing the medal in this picture, but he was giving two different medals that you give to the highest dignitary in this country. We're talking a Christian here. In a, in a land full of all types of stuff. And there were people in that room as I was reading and as I've researched and gathered information. As he was on his deathbed. Getting ready to make his transition. He just said, with people in the room. If my children won't serve God. My grandchildren will. And they will be ministers and pastors of the gospel. Remember the places that he evangelized, Belgium, France, Canada, and America. He now has grandchildren that are pastoring in Belgium, pastoring in France, pastoring in Canada. And there is a grandson that's standing right before you guys this morning. See, those missionaries, they didn't realize the generational impact that their assignment would have. Your assignment might seem menial. It might seem below you. You might seem more qualified than the assignment that God puts in your hand. Be faithful with wherever God places you. You have zero idea the generational impact. I didn't grow up in the church. As a matter of fact, my friend that gave me that watch from last week is in the room today. He knows me. He knows that this is God. God has done this. Honoring the assignment of those missionaries. Now, I want to close out by asking you the same question that Pastor Tim asked my wife and the other gentlemen. How many people do you see in this room? 
I see hundreds. I see thousands. I see a millions. That God is aligned in our path for us to impact. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.